We're back to the Neil Haley Show, and my guest today is former NFL player, player Glover Quinn. Glover, thanks for stopping by, man. And, you know, you talk about it. Did you always want to be an NFL player? Was that growing up you wanted to do that? Um, I can't say I always wanted to be an NFL player, but I did always want to be a professional athlete. Um, I was actually a basketball player before I was a football player. So I, want, I wanted to go to the NBA and be a basketball player, and then I kind of stopped growing as much and – you know, the way the scholarships worked out, I got a football offer first. And so I just said, okay, well, I'm going to take the football route. So let's talk about that. Like in basketball, the making the jump and saying, okay, football, it's going to take that route. Football was like the secondary. Your, your your mind was always on basketball, right? And you play football as well, two-sport athlete or more sports. But basketball was really your goal and dream. And that had to be challenging when you had to finally say, I'm no longer going to do basketball. I'm going to focus on football. I mean, you know, it was, I don't want to say challenging. It was just kind of like, this is what it was. You know, I was, um, I was really good at basketball and, you know, I wanted to be a basketball player. So actually going, when I left eighth grade, going into high school, I actually had quit playing football because I was actually going to be playing varsity basketball in the, uh, in the, as a freshman and the, the conflict of, basketball practice and freshman football practice was like, okay, well, if I do freshman football, then I won't be able to do varsity basketball. So I'm going to play varsity basketball. So I'm just not going to play football. And so I had actually quit football. didn't go to any other summer workouts or anything. And then um, the first day of school, I walked into the gym and there was literally really nobody in the gym. And all my friends had went to the field house to go to football practice. And so I'm kind of standing in the gym looking around like, man, I don't know. And I got lucky because the the coach that had coached me in middle school football, he had just moved up to the high school. And so um, they had been asking me to come and play and trying to make it work. But I was just like, nah, nah, nah. And so then the first day of school, I walk in the gym, didn't really see, wasn't really feeling it. It was like, you know what, man, I'm going to go play football. So I walk over to the field house Hey coach, sorry. Uh, I kind of want to play football now. And he's like, well, go in there and get dressed so we can get to practice. So that's kind of how I started. So then I was a freshman practicing with the varsity football team and end up playing well enough as a freshman and to play varsity football. And then I left there and went play varsity basketball. So they let you play two sports. It was more, you thought this is going to be a challenge for you because you wanted to just right off the bat, play varsity basketball. So by not doing that, did you get to play as a freshman in basketball too? Oh yeah. See, I I finished up when when my eighth grade basketball season was over with. I actually finished that year playing varsity basketball as an eighth grader. Oh, um, wow. and so I knew going into my ninth grade year that I was going to be starting varsity basketball because I was already in 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 the point guard that was uh, playing in front of me when I was an eighth grader. He was a senior, so I knew I was next in line already. And so that's why I was like, all right, I'm playing basketball. And, um, you know, going from football to basketball, it, it's just the it, – it's not a switch at the semester. It's a switch mid-year, right? When football season's over with in, in October, November, then you go right into basketball. And so having the practices in that same period, right? We we, we was on block schedule. 
So our fourth hour was sports. And so just going from varsity football to varsity basketball, I was just changing where I was going. So they didn't have a problem with me playing both. And they knew I was going to play both. I mean, I was, you know, I was that guy. Of the same. How did that feel to be that guy? I feel I'm more that guy now at 50 than I was that guy in high school. Even though I was a college basketball, I played college basketball. I was a pretty good high school basketball player, played one year of football. But now I feel more that guy after pro wrestling career and now with the podcasting and entrepreneur than I did then. How did it feel being that guy at that age? I mean, I don't know no other way. I feel like I've always been that guy. Okay. Ever, ever since I started playing, I was, I mean, I can remember back to being in the third grade playing basketball, and I was I was that guy playing football. I didn't play organized football until the seventh grade, but I used to play around the house and on the playgrounds with my friends and stuff, and, I mean, they couldn't touch me then, and so – um, every team I've ever played on, I've always kind of been that guy. And so I don't really know. I mean, it didn't really bother me or affect me in any other way. You know, I was a good student. I was getting my grades. I didn't, I didn't want anything given to me, any shortcuts. I didn't, I didn't want you to take it easy on me because I was that guy. I wanted you to make me work because I am that guy. You know what I'm saying? Like push me like, and so I never probably took advantage of it in a way that most people would think you probably can get away with a lot of things because you're that guy. Nah, I was always, I was going to be the hardest worker. I was going to be the, that was just me. And I've always been like that. I was like that when I was a kid. I was like that in high school. I was like that in Juco. I was like that in New Mexico. And I was like that in Houston. I was like that in Detroit. I've always been like that. So here's the point. Is it hard work or talent? Both. I mean, I I think it's it's both, you know. I think I think it's both to get to get to the highest level. It's both. I mean, to play at lower levels, yeah, you can work hard and play. You know, you have some of these kids that just work really hard, but from a talent standpoint, they just don't have it to go to the higher levels. And then you have kids who are super talented and they can play when they're younger, but if they don't have the work ethic, once you get to the the higher college levels and the pros then they can't keep up because those guys are talented and they work extremely hard. And so I think to play at the highest level and and to, you know, even like high level college, I think it takes a little bit of both. You know, you got to have, you know, the talent to be able to do it, but you got to have the work ethic and the discipline to be able to perfect it or at least try to perfect it because you have to be able to perform, you know, when when you have to be able to perform when your number is called right and i think that's the thing that i like about football when i say i feel like football is probably the highest form of professional um i guess i want to say sports but just a professional in a sense of when you look at basketball, you look at baseball, you look at hockey, the best team always wins. Right. Right. The championships, the best team always win. In football, the best team doesn't always win. Right. It's who was the best that day. 
You've seen plenty of times. You've seen a team that was nine and seven, the Giants nine and seven. They go beat a seventeen in those Super Bowl against the Patriots. Were the Giants a better team? No, the Patriots probably was the best team, right? The Giants just got hot at the right time. They played better that day. That's the to me. That's about being a pro. You got to be on every day in basketball. Team might get blew out by 30 in game one and come back and win game two and then come back and win game three and then go on and win the series. Why? Because they're a better team. Yeah, that team can muster up enough and beat you one game, but over the course of seven games, we're going to win more because we're just right. a better team. And baseball, the same thing. Baseball, Anything with seven and NHL, the same thing. Can you teach talent? Can you teach talent? I don't think you can teach talent. I think you can teach skill. I think you're born with talent. You know, I think you can teach, you can, you can show somebody a skill that they can like learn to perfect. I think talent is something that you have. And then, you know, as you work at it and you perfect it, you become very, 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 very skillful. But, you know, some people you just have a certain talent and you can just do it. It's like speed. Like some people are just fast and they can run. Right. I mean, you can teach somebody how to run faster, but you can't teach somebody how to be a 4-2 if they're just not 4-2 speed. Right. But most people come with great talent in the NFL, so it's up to hard work that's going to get work ethic and, and, and improvement and being a student of the game. Explain that when you went from college to the pros and, you know, you watch, you know, goofy shows like ballers or different things like that is it really is a, and like other behind the scenes it's really about putting the work in not just on sunday but the whole week right yeah can- i mean that that that's really what it is that's really what it boils down to is the work ethic the discipline the 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 ability to be able to do all those things you know a lot of guys in, in you know in the nfl they don't retire because of Sundays. You know what I'm saying? They love Sundays. They retire because of Mondays through Saturday, the the work, the training, the preparation, the study and the time, everything that it takes to go out and be able to perform on Sunday. Sundays is the fun time, the, the time in between. That's the hard part. And that's what separates a lot of guys. I sit here and I watch college football on Saturdays and it's just like, man, you see college football and you you assume that everybody that goes to these big schools are going to the pros. And then you're like, man, a lot of these guys are not going to go pros. They're only going to take probably two guys off this team, maybe four. And you realize that, like, the difference in these guys playing college football and these guys going to the pro, a lot of it is the mental. A lot of it's mental. I mean, physically, a lot of these guys can play. They can run. They can – but – it's, it's can you have all these things going on in your head and you make the right decision at the right time, be in the right spot, be able to focus on the right thing, see the right things, understand all those things, the coverages. I mean, I'm a defensive back, so when I say coverages, you know, things change. One person moves, it changed the whole coverage. We was in one coverage, this person motion, now we're in another completely different coverage. Can you compute all that in front of 80,000 people screaming in front of, you know, understanding that you're playing in the NFL and you're lined up across from Justin Jefferson and, you know, you just, I mean, can you do all those things? And a lot of times the mental part of it, they can't, they can't do. And so then you'll, you'll see why guys were super talented in college 
and they get to the next level and they, they you just wonder why can't they why can't they play? It looks like they can't even play football anymore. And it's like it's just a different game. Interesting. Questions about biggest highlights in the NFL. What would you say your biggest career highlights? Mine? Well, I mean, I was a I liked I liked interceptions. You know, I liked catching the ball from 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 the opposing quarterback. So anytime I can get my hand on the ball from an interception standpoint, that was gonna be big for me. But and I and I've intercepted a lot of the like big time guys. And you know, some of them in the moment of the game made them seem different. Um, you know, when I picked off Drew Brees the first time, it seemed bigger game wise than the second time I picked him off, just because the first time I picked him off, they were trying to, you know, run the clock out, basically seal the game. I end up catching the interception. We go down and score. We win the game, right? So that was a huge interception. The next one I caught against him, probably we were just beating him, and it was a cool interception. But to me, it's still Drew Brees. You know? Right. It's still Drew Brees. I know the, the moment of the game was different. But it's still Drew Brees, you know, Peyton Manning. That's still Peyton Manning, right? Like, I don't care what it is. Like, that's Peyton Manning, you know, pick six and Phillip Rivers and Matt Ryan. Like, those are still, like, big-time players to me, catching interception off Aaron Rodgers. Like, all those different things are just cool to me. And so, I mean, highlight-wise, yeah, I mean, you got some cool plays. I mean, I had a sliding, diving, one-handed interception that's cool. You know, like I say, pick six, that's cool. But like to me, making plays against some of those quarterbacks, all of them really are 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 highlights to me. Life after football. Were you ready? Um, yeah, I was ready. I was ready. I I I went into the game knowing kind of what I wanted to do, and I was blessed and fortunate enough to be able to do that. Like I I, I only wanted to play 10 years. That's all I wanted to play. I felt like if I was to play 10 years. And I used to always say this, if I could walk off the field after my 10th year, the last game, that it would it would be very difficult for me to walk back on. Um, and so when I left the field against Green Bay in 2018, we won 31-0. I knew that was probably the last time I was ever walking back on the field. You know what I'm saying? Like, so um i was ready I, I i mean i had gave it everything i had you know i played in every game except for one i missed one game my rookie year so i mean i had played a full 10 years in my opinion i started every game once i started starting you know i started 148 straight games you know nine and a, over nine and a half seasons in a row i started every single game played so I felt like I had gave it what I what I had to give to the game and then I was ready to move on and, you know, do something different. I always looked at football as a stepping stool into the rest of my life. I never looked at football as who I was. It was just what I did. So I did it for a time period and it was time to move on. So what are you doing now? We'll talk about the podcast for sure, but what else? Uh, right now I do um, custom framing and I'm a dad. <laughs> that's really okay that's the most important thing dad yeah, yeah I'm, I'm a dad for sure and that was one of the reasons why i wanted to play and then be done because i just i wanted to be a very very intricate part of my kids life you know i got three three boys they're all athletes and 
You know, I just wanted to be, I wanted to be very intricate part in their life. I didn't want them to miss out on a lot of things childhood wise because I was still playing or trying to play ball and dragging them all over the place or not being home because I got to be at work for 16 hours that I'm traveling on the weekends and, and, you know, they're missing out on things or they're, they're not getting to really enjoy their childhood because daddy's still trying to play ball. And so I I wanted to play and then get out and, and really pour into them. And so I do that. And then, like I said, I do custom framing. I do, you know, I frame jerseys and pictures and whatever, whatever people want framed. I, I do it all. And do you do a lot of it online or locally more? Um, I mean, I, I do a lot of it locally. Um, I mean, I can do it. I can ship stuff. I, um, I've been in the process of, you know, getting the website built and all that. I kind of just do social media right now. Um, and then local stuff and it's cool. It's fun to me. I, I mean, I, I got several projects I'm working on right now. Paintings, people send me the, you know, frame a painting form. And that's great. Like I said, I got. I got probably three or four jerseys in there right now that I'm working on, some newspaper articles. So yeah, it's cool. Keep yeah, it's busy. always great to have that in your in your den for sure. Now let's um go specifically to the podcast. Tell us about the Believe podcast you have. Well, you know, we I, I I'm I'm on the Believe podcast with uh, my my co-host Jack Cavanaugh, uh great guy, funny guy, it's a cool guy. And, uh, you know, we talk lines, you know, we talk the, the Detroit lines and, you know, what's going on, talk their games, um, what to expect, what are we thinking, you know, how they match up against whoever they're playing. And, you know, we generally give you, um, you know, a pregame um, show. Then we give you a postgame show. Um, just kind of, kind of, you know, get you ready for the games, tell you what to look for. It's a bunch of different things. It's a lot, but it's a, it's a good network. They got a lot going on with a lot of different teams. And um, yeah, for me, we do the Believe in Lions podcast. So we're actually going to be filming probably today, getting ready for the Thursday game against the um, Packers. Yeah. You got to be uh, like excited about the Lions this year. Think they have a good shot. I, I do. I think I think they are in a good position. You know, the Vikings are 0 three right now. They're they're reeling a little bit. Um, Chicago is, you know, got a lot going on over there. And so the Packers is the, you know, the one team that's right there with them. And, you know, they got a young quarterback. You know, they're two and one though. They found a way to win some games. I thought they would have lost Sunday against the Saints, but they they fall back and got a win. So they're they're a scrappy bunch over there. So it'll be a good game on Thursday night to, you know, see who will take the early lead in the in the NFC North division. Um, I think the Lions got a good chance. I think, you know, from a quarterback standpoint, they got they got a good good chance from a skill position. They can get the O-line back healthy, um, get Taylor Decker back out there. And, you know, some of those guys, I think, you know, O-line-wise, they're strong, strong group. And then the defense played well, you know, Sunday. You know, they didn't play great against Seattle. But I think that's just a Seattle thing. I don't I just think something about Seattle that has, you know, Detroit's number. 
Um, but they played pretty good against um, Kansas City on opening night. And then they played really good Sunday against the Falcons. So I think the defense is is strong enough to complement the offense. Um, and if the O-line get back healthy, I think they'll be I think they'll be the favorites to win the North. All right, where can we connect with you on social media? Worst place, best place. Man, I'm everywhere on social media. I guess, you know, I'm on Instagram uh at Glover Quinn. And then I got links to all my other Instagram pages. I'm on Twitter, uh, Glover Quinn Jr. Um, I'm on TikTok. <laughs> I'm everywhere. If you if you just search my name, you'll find me. All right. We appreciate it, sir. It was great stuff, and we'll see what the Lions do this year. Appreciate it for right. taking the time. All right. All right, man. Appreciate you. All right. Listening and watching the Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. I can help anyone who's at a crossroads just figure out what their inner voice is saying to them, or even just start to hear it and realize that that wise voice rising up is something you can trust. Just start having a relationship with that inner part of your being. That to me feels, I think people need to be comforted by knowing that they can trust that voice. And that doesn't mean they have to make a radical life change right this second, because it's scary. to make a big life change. But that is why I'm here. Hi, and welcome to Women CEO and Reflection, a podcast dedicated to personal growth and mental health discussions with women CEOs across the globe. It's here where inspired women get candid about what drives them to succeed and the personal challenges they've encountered on their path to success. So if you're a woman on a mission, this is the podcast you don't want to miss. So sit back, relax, and let's get candid. Hi, and welcome to Women CEO and Reflection. I'm your host, Marisa Jones. Today's guest is Angie Mazel. She's an author, speaker, and conversation catalyst who helps high-achieving women release a lifetime of shoulds, pave their own way, and come home to themselves. Her memoir, Girl in the Spotlight, is a coming-of-age story about breaking cycles of the past and stepping into a life of courageous freedom. Through her speaking engagements, memoir, and weekly newsletter, Hello Friday, Angie shares personal stories that encourage readers to let go of false identities, meet and face grief and loss, and choose mindful presence over external ambition. Thank you and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Um, I am just, you know, I was reading your story a little bit and I resonate so much with how you, or where you, you know, how you got to where you are today. And, um, but, you know, along different lines, and I'm sure there's so many women out there who are kind of in the same shoes as you right now, where you were maybe in the beginning of your story. So why don't you tell me a little bit about, you know, your book, and let's start with that, your book, your memoir, and what led you to write, write your story? Yeah, I, um, I have a memoir, it's out now, Girl in the Spotlight, and it is a coming of age story because I had to look back at my childhood to see how that informed a lot of professional decisions I was making. And I can get to that in a minute, but the timeline of the book, the present day timeline is um, the first few years of my career as a television journalist. And that was also the first few years of my marriage. And I wanted to be the next Nancy O'Dell. 
I wanted to host Access Hollywood because at the time Nancy was hosting Access Hollywood and Nancy had anchored a morning show in my hometown of Charleston. And so I grew up watching her when I was a senior in high school. And so I went to journalism school and I get a job in my hometown. I'm the morning anchor and I have an agent who believes in me and he says, I can get you to Los Angeles. And my husband, we are both journalism people and we worked at the same television station and we had our, we made this plan for life together. And we were gonna keep moving up and moving on and we were get, gonna get to LA. And something inside of me started to shift. And a few things in looking back triggered this longing for home and stability. And this yearning wasn't lining up with my goal. Like this doesn't match. So it put me in this huge internal conflict. And the book chronicles that time where we actually move across the country and come back. And ultimately I leave my career in television news, but it was not until, so when I left television, finally, I felt like it freed me somehow. Like I knew that I had walked away from something huge because my identity was so wrapped up. Um, but it had become a mental health issue because I had pushed it so long and had not listened to my inner voice for so long that when I ended up in therapy, um, she, once we got over the crisis of, I need to quit my job and I did, she started working backwards. You know, Tell me about your childhood. And I'm like, and at that point I felt like I had processed my childhood, you know, just the broken home, the domestic abuse, uh, just the depression and the, the alcohol, alcoholism as a form of self-medication, these, in in all of the loss, I just, over a short period of time, I feel like I lost a lot of people, my family fell apart, and this falling apart was happening as my career aspirations were taking off, and my single, my single mom, who was telling me, you can be anything, and not that that was a bad thing, she wanted me to have a life that she didn't have, um, but I was in such a conflict and it wasn't until I started to write my story that I thought was very inspirational on its face, um, a story about work-life balance. I started going backwards and realizing, oh, I was carrying a lot of grief and loss and trauma into my career, as well as my gifts and my talents and my ability to succeed in that career. So if I can help anyone who's at a crossroads, just figure out what their inner voice is saying to them, or even just start to hear it and realize that that wise voice rising up is something you can trust. Just start having a relationship with that inner part of your being that to me feels, I think people need to be comforted by knowing that they can trust that voice. And that doesn't mean they have to make a radical life change right this second, because it's scary <laughs> to make a big life change. But that is why I'm here. Finally, I finished the book because it takes a long time to write a memoir when you are digging up your past. <laughs> How did you, so there's so many things there. One, you know, 
so many of us walk around with trauma, right? Whatever that is, domestic violence, a broken family, it could be abuse of some sort. Um, and then it's not until we really stop and, and we accept it and we accept that who we are, the decision we, we make and everything that we do, it's just like, oh, that's just who I am, right? And and we don't realize that there could be so much more to who we are. And, and a lot of us do find our identity externally with jobs, with spouses, with a house and the picket fence and the kids and the family. And, and then we wake up and go, I have all this, but I, something's missing, right? And how do you, the, the one thing, the one thing that, that I always wonder is, you know, how do you get someone to, to, to search for that sooner before they, they, you know, they're looking there because they don't trust their intuition, right? How do you get someone to look sooner for, um, you know, the ability to, I guess, find themselves or find their identity and know who they are? Well, I have had people who are at midlife more about where I am now saying, oh, you learn things in your twenties that I'm just starting to see. And I feel like that was interesting because even as I was unraveling, I was like, I feel like I'm learning something like something. I feel awful, but maybe this is important. And so I, when I look back, I can see that I had mentors on my side, even as a teenager, and they were guiding me and even if I didn't act on what they said right away, I heard them, if that makes sense. So it kind of stayed with me. And then as a parent, um, it really has changed how I parent my children. So maybe that is what it is. We have to be aware of maybe the messages about success that we're passing down to younger people. And we, so as a mother, I know that I have, I, I kind of, um, I, parenting really makes you like, I thought I was all healed and, <laughs> and you, it, you know, I get butted up against my um, limitations all the time, but um, I really just want my kids to show up to life, like go to class, do your homework, pay attention, you know, be a good person, all of that, but pay attention to when you're working hard on something and no one made you do it. Like you might still have to do the thing you don't want to do because you have to go to that class and that's life, but pay attention to what lights you up. And, you know, so I guess maybe this is more of a, just asking the question is how we make the change. And we start to look at, are we passing down messages that are really just limiting beliefs? And can we start sharing more inspiring messages, even to our young people? Um, you know, that's kind of all I've um, been able to gather myself about it. And then the that's that's so that's yeah. so true because so many of us we push our values and we push our expectations of what we want for ourselves, for our kids, for our family, for our friends, for right. everyone around us, and not even knowing why we do it. Like, why do we have these ex expectations? Why do we want them to behave this way? You know. That's right. And I think um, what you were saying earlier about, you know, lots of people who have trauma probably feel like to some extent that they dealt with it or they have acknowledged it or they've accepted it. And that was true for me. I, I really was a success story. And I felt like, okay, yes, that was 
it, but I, this happened to me, but I was also loved and I made a success of my life. But what I didn't realize is how, um, so much of what I went through had shaped my beliefs and how many of those beliefs were the things that were keeping me stuck. And I went from an empowered place of rising career to suddenly being very disempowered because I stopped listening to myself that, I, and so I think that is, if someone, I know sometimes it's, we talk about trauma a lot these days and people are like, why do I have to go there? I don't think you go there just to, I wouldn't do it without the help of a professional or, um, you know, support and having a safe space, but it is so that you can start to look at how it's affecting your thinking and how it's affecting the decisions that you're making today. And, um, that's so key because we, we are, I always say we honor ourselves when we make decisions supporting ourselves. And you can only do that when you go and look back at your trauma. Exactly. So let me ask you this about your memoir. Uh, for me, when I wrote my memoir, I thought I was fully healed. But one of the things that I found a pattern of things that really surprised me, my mom is a Sicilian immigrant, right? And she's very, very different from me altogether in so many different ways. But I found I paralleled her life so much in ways that surprised me. So what is it about your memoir that really surprised you when you were writing it? Like something you just learned about yourself that just blew you away. Hmm. I do. There is actually a scene in the book where my mom says, you're so much like me. I think, well, writing it and revising it, it forced me to go deeper than my sarcasm, like my sarcastic response or my if I wrote the scene, I was still angry about it. I had to go deeper, but actually it really helped me see everyone else's point of view. So I was able to see everybody's, and when I say everybody, all the adults in my life, and even my husband who goes through a character arc in the story, um, everybody's humanity, where you really know that people are doing I don't know if they're doing their best, but they're doing what they can with what they have. And everybody has redeeming qualities and everybody's they're, they're struggling. And I really feel like I, the writing of the book healed me, but not just writing it once. It was the revising because I'm able to see all of these imperfect people living a life and you know, the, the one thing that I realized about myself, I'm glad you asked that question because I think I'm realizing it now, is that I realized that I was a cycle breaker, that I didn't set out to write the book about breaking cycles of dysfunction or cycles of this, cycles of that. I was like, oh, I did because something happened as I kept working on the healing, that there is something in me that even when I make a mistake, I make lots of mistakes as a parent, as a wife, as a friend, as a daughter, I catch myself and there's an awareness and then I shift and go, I'm, 
we were going to break this pattern. So I think that's what it was. I realized that I was a cycle breaker. That's amazing. One. Yeah. <laughs> you're doing, you're doing a service to, to not only your kids and your, your family's generation, but all the people that you touch in your life, because when you do break the cycle and the patterns of, of behavior, that is just not positive, that doesn't bring positive uh, experiences in your life, you really touch everyone around you. Thank you. So, so, uh, so let me ask you about Hello Friday. I love the name, your weekly newsletter. What do you talk about? Do you release it on Friday? And like, what do you talk about? What's I do. I do. And um, it took me a while. I have been blogging since my 17 year old was two and I've been consistently inconsistent with writing short story, short form stories online with some sort of personal takeaway, but I've done it the whole time. Like I never um, stopped writing online. So I started doing this newsletter on Substack and I really like it because it feels like old school blogging because I can write, but people can also get it like a subscription. So that's what my weekly newsletter is. It's a little weekly story. It's usually a reflection, personal narrative. This happened to me, but I will have a takeaway that hopefully people can apply to their life. And that was another thing I realized as I was leaving TV is that this writer in me who loves personal narrative, like I will just be going through my day and then I'm in a moment and I'm present, but it starts to play out like a scene in my head and something goes, you're going to share this, you know? And so that is just, the kind of writer that I am. And I hope that the people who are reading Hello Friday feel like we're having a conversation. And I love it when people comment because, um, and, and usually it's just me talking about myself, but it's making them think about something about their own life and reflect. So that's what it is. And it's really fun. And um, Hello Friday, it, I kind of got it from that Florida song, like Hello Friday. <laughs> There's like pop songs Friday. on Friday, but I was like, or when I thought of the name, then the song started playing in my head. And I'm like, that's just kind of, um, that's the vibe that I'm going for. But the thing I pointed out too, is that we like the way Friday feels and we want to feel like Friday, but Friday doesn't always feel like Friday. So I think the point of the newsletter is also just to help us just live a life be a person, navigate the ups and downs of life and the joys and the sorrows and just be a little more alive in that journey. That's great. I love it. I love Hello Friday. I think that's fantastic. <laughs> um, we are running out of time. What do you want to, Where's what's next for you? What do you want to achieve and what do you want the audience to know? Well, I'm so excited that the book is now out, you know, I would love for people to read the book and if it resonates, share it. But for me, the book being out means I really feel ready to tell that part of my story. And I want to take my message beyond living in my today life and motherhood and really talk about that before story more and it took me a long time to finish the book but I also for whatever reason feel like the time is now and sometimes I have to pinch myself I'm like oh I finally did 
the thing that I always it's an achievement. It's a huge yeah. achievement. You should be so proud. Thank you. It's it's exciting. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much. You know, I always say learn and lead. That's what life is all about. So thank you so much. It's been a great pleasure having you on the show. Where can people find you? AngieMazelle.com, two Zs, two Ls, and I'm Angie Mazelle across all platforms. So awesome. Um, even if you spell it wrong, you'll probably find me. <laughs> Terrific. Well, thank you so much. It's been a great pleasure. Thanks thank for being you on so the much show. For having me. Thank you for listening to Women CEO in Reflection. To reach out to one of our guests, their contact is in the description of the show. Do you want a total mindset transformation? Apply to Mindset Warrior, The Art of Intentional Thinking, my personal coaching boot camp at IamAMindsetWarrior.com and schedule your call with me today. Thank you. But one, I didn't have language for it. I didn't know there was such a thing as actually being a highly sensitive person. So what I was feeling and experiencing, all I registered was I'm different. There's something wrong with me. And I did everything to try to hide it, counteract it, push through it pretend that wasn't me and to fit in to the best that I can or could. I think this is probably a good place to say that the research shows and states that there's 20% of the world population that is born highly sensitive. Hi, and welcome to Women CEO and Reflection, a podcast dedicated to personal growth and mental health discussions with women CEOs across the globe. It's here where inspired women get candid about what drives them to succeed and the personal challenges they've encountered on their path to success. So if you're a woman on a mission, this is the podcast you don't want to miss. So sit back, relax, and let's get candid. Hi, and welcome to Women's CEO and Reflection. I'm your host, Marisa Jones. Today's guest is Heather Dominic. She's the founder of businessmiracles.com and creator of the Highly Sensitive Leadership Training Program. For more than a decade, Heather has been training highly sensitive entrepreneurs and leaders to do things differently by working less and making more of a social impact and a higher income. Welcome to the show, Heather. Thank you so much, Marisa. I'm so happy to be here. We're going to have a great conversation. I love it. Well, I especially love talk to me about highly sensitive entrepreneurs because I feel like I resonate with it even though I'm not really sure what your perspective is on it so tell me yes. a little bit about what that is yes absolutely so first and foremost highly sensitive is not a phrase coined by me it comes out of research from the 1990s one woman in particular is most well known for the research her name is Dr. Elaine Aaron she's most well known because she wrote the book the highly sensitive person. So what it means in short to be highly sensitive is that you are a person who is born into the world with a nervous system that takes in stimulation at a much higher degree than someone who's not highly sensitive. So you can think sight, sound, smell, touch, but also energy, information. 
where my work comes in is first and foremost, I didn't know that I was highly sensitive until I was already self-employed for about six to seven years. And at that point, I had brought my business across the million dollar mark for the first time, and I nearly killed myself doing it and thought, oh my gosh, there, there has to be something wrong with me. Like, why, why am I why am I literally drowning and feel like I'm going to die having created what it is that I said that I wanted as part of a dark night of the soul? I learned that I was a highly sensitive person. And once I got over the fact that that didn't mean that I was weak, but it just meant that my nervous system processes the world differently. I thought, okay, I can do this, but I'm just going to have to do this business thing in a different way. And from that point forward, I did. And then I started mentoring and training other highly sensitives who also feel called to be self-employed and or leaders. And now it's been over a decade with much success for all of us. That's fantastic. So how did you how did you not know you were highly sensitive? There must have been signs that you just didn't recognize before or thought that maybe, you know, I'm sensitive or maybe not even that word, but you you saw it must have had some uh behaviors or habits or feelings or something, you know, patterns in your life that led to it. Yes, that is such a great question that literally no one has ever asked me. Most people usually ask me that opposite, which is like, how did you know that you were highly sensitive? How did I not know that I was highly sensitive? Of course I knew, right? Like in my heart of hearts, but one, I didn't have language for it. I didn't know there was such a thing as actually being a highly sensitive person. So what I was feeling and experiencing, all I registered was I'm different. There's something wrong with me. And I did everything to try to hide it, counteract it, push through it, pretend that wasn't me and to fit in to the best that I can or could. I think this is probably a good place to say that the research shows and states that there's 20% of the world population that is born highly sensitive. So just from a probability standpoint, anyone who is highly sensitive tends to feel like the odd one out right? If you think like one in five of us, and that really contributes to the experience that I had, which is I must be a freak. I can't let anyone else know about this. And I have to do whatever I can to try to pretend that this isn't who I am. Did your, did your parents know, like, did your parents, like growing up, cause you, you recognize it. Did your parents like understand that you were different at all? I would say yes and no. The yes part was my sensitivity was definitely um, supported, right? Like just the, the aspects that I now refer to in my work as our highly sensitive strengths, such as being very intuitive, being very creative, being a deep listener, deep thinker, deep feeler. My parents definitely knew that was part of who I was. And again, they encouraged 
encouraged that part. But in the same way that I didn't have that language, they didn't have that language, right? So there wasn't the support of like, oh, how do you help cultivate this for, you know, for a child to have it be something that can work for you rather than work against you? Right. And it's, you know, I, I totally relate to what you were saying. Not that I am sensitive that way, but some of the things that you described when you were growing up, I can relate to with my son. So I have two boys, they're 18 and 21. And it was really difficult when I was with them, raising them because they were complete opposites. So I had one son who all year round, even in the snow, was shorts, t-shirts, everything he had to touch, everything he had to mouth. He, even as, as he was always chewing on his shirt, even as a, you know, a, a middle schooler or high school, like everything, he couldn't get enough of the world, right? right? He had to just embrace it and touch and just everything was extreme. And then, you know, music had to be extra loud and everything had to just be, you know, over the top. Then I had my younger son, who was completely the opposite. Like he literally wore flannel pajamas under his clothes until the eighth grade. Like he, everything, he couldn't walk into a public bathroom. It was too loud for him. We couldn't go to a movie theater. The music was too loud. We couldn't, um, you know, he couldn't touch crayons. Like he would get in trouble. I had, I'd had to convince the teachers to have him use markers or pens because he wouldn't touch crayons because he didn't like the way they felt. And so everything to him, and now that he's older, um, you know, they, they would always say, oh, they're AD, ADD, right? And it's like, no, they're not ADD. They're sensitive. There's a difference. And, yeah, yeah. Um, and so they, they didn't really know how to treat it. You know, it was like, there was nothing to treat, except I would have, to, I was constantly trying to convince the teachers to change how they operate with my own kids. And it was really hard. Um, but now that it's older, you know, my son, you know, he talks about it. He's like, you know, it's, it's, it's hard for him to speak out. He always feels different. He always feels like, you know, he's, he's an introvert, whereas my other son is an extrovert. And then I'm completely opposite. And they know, um, you know, I'm highly sensitive where I'm empathic. And I have a lot of experiences with spirits and entities and things that kind of just show up. And, um, and so we all have our different <laughs> types of being sensitive and it's, you know, it does impact you and it does impact your life. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Yes. I don't know your younger son's name, but whatever his name is, I get you. Joey, I, <laughs> Joey. <laughs> Joey, you and me, I totally get you. And I think that's, what's most important. What you ended with is that not everyone is the same. So that was definitely my experience when I would, you know, attend trainings about how to be successfully self-employed. I would hire coaches. I would join masterminds and and yet everyone that was in those trainings, in those coaching programs, in those masterminds was treated as if they were all the same. And there was also messaging that like, you know, if you're not getting this, if you're not creating success in this way, then, you know, it's you. Like there's something wrong with you. Once I learned that I was highly sensitive, like I said, I had to like really do the work on my own and kind of put two and two together. And I was like, well, no, I can be successfully self-employed, but I'm going to have to go about things in a very different way. 
And, um, and there's such value in that one for if there's a person who does desire something like being self-employed, you, you can do it in a different way, but also from a leader perspective, right? Even leading as a parent, which you so beautifully described is not everyone on your team, not everyone in your family is going to be the same. So how do we work with the strengths that everyone brings to the table? So what are some of the unique things, and I don't want you to spill your secrets, right? But what 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 are some of the things that you could do if somebody's listening and they're, you know, and they are high, they identify themselves as being highly sensitive and they struggle and they're an adult, right? We're talking about adults and, and successful entrepreneurs. How what are some things that they could do to to help them? Yeah, for sure. Well, first and foremost, I would say, you know, accept it and even more so embrace it. Um, the fighting against it. And as I shared, I definitely speak from experience takes a lot of extra energy and really then ends up affecting and impacting the way that you're able to create the way that you're able to produce. So that's really first and foremost, it's like, this is who I am. And then from there, it's like, just kind of diving in to learn a little bit more of like, oh, this isn't necessarily a bad thing. Like what are some of the unique strength aspects that I do bring to the work that I do? There's a lot of highly sensitive people who are called to be self-employed specifically in service-based businesses because of our highly sensitive nature, which definitely includes empathy as one of our strengths, right? So you kind of like, just think of the kind of like a, a rainbow, if you will, like empath, as you mentioned, is definitely like, you know, part of being highly sensitive. When you look at that and you think like, oh, okay, like I'm actually really good at what I do. I feel called to do it because of who I am as a highly sensitive. How can that extend to things like marketing or selling or operations? What is a way that I can perhaps approach those things differently from my strengths perspective? And I don't have to just do them in the way that somebody who's not highly sensitive is doing that. And that's really where I would recommend starting, right? Like just accept, embrace, acknowledge, and then begin to adapt. That's great. Great advice. And, you know, and that's advice for a lot of people always kind of go your own route. It doesn't always have to be the status quo, right? Everything in life yes. is way too rigid, rigid. And if we, and if we are really authentically ourselves, we bring in a uniqueness to whatever business we're running or whatever it is that we're doing, that's not like anything else. And that is how you stand out, Absolutely. which is, which is difficult as a highly sensitive person to stand out. Like you're yeah. the, you're, you, you're a dichotomy here. Like it's exactly. you know, successful exactly. entrepreneur, be out there type a, but at the same time, very sensitive and kind of yeah. want to stay within. Right. But again, you can do it in a way, believe me, I have, right. And so many others that I mentor have as well. You can do it in a way that isn't just that type A or extrovert way, which I'm glad you mentioned that earlier too, because being highly sensitive doesn't always mean being introverted and being introverted doesn't always mean being highly sensitive. So again, there, we can open the box. That's all right. You can open the box and there can be 
ways with which to follow your heart, follow your passion, you know, what it is that you're meant to bring to the world through, through being self-employed without having to go the type A hustle way. And I would say, especially now, right? Like there's just so much that's changing, that's, you know, disrupting. And we have the opportunity, I really believe, as highly sensitives to bring something to the table, to bring something new to the conversation. And that includes the conversation of being in business. That's great. I love it. You know, it is a new world out there. And, you know, I think, you know, I think in frequencies and vibrations, and I think our planet has physically elevated in the last 20 years, and my kids are part of it. And, uh, you know, I think being highly sensitive is part of that change and how we operate. You know, it's evolution. And I, I truly believe that sensitivity is because we're more in tune with our planet and with our universe, but there's no instructions on how to do it, right? <laughs> no instructions. I say that all the time. Like we are the pioneers. And I so appreciate that you said 20 years because this is my 20th year of being self-employed. I and, love it. Right? That's and great. Oh my gosh. Like what a difference from like when I started to now and not just in myself, but like when I tell people, it's like, yeah, when I started my business, there was no social media, right? Not only was there no social media, there was no YouTube. So like, that's the time frame that we're talking here. Um, and we, yeah, things are meant Is to change. It, it has changed. Our, our society has changed significantly yes. in 20 years. Yes. Yes. So how is that pivoting over the, that time? Like, how is that pivoting what you did before to how we are today with everything is just thrown at you, you know, in small snippets, right? Like 10, 10 minutes shots or discussions or like our 15 minute podcast, because no one has an attention span for an hour anymore. Um, and everybody's so busy, right? How have you pivoted to support what you're doing? Uh, I so appreciate that word. That is so key. And it's not even just about the how to pivot. It's about the willingness to pivot. And truly as highly sensitives, when we're working from our strengths, we're actually poised to be able to pivot because one of our top, top strengths is intuition. So in all like smackdown honesty, there's so much that I do and decisions that I make based on my intuition. And it's what has allowed me to like sustain through all of the changes throughout 20 years um, to be able to pivot when necessary, like whether internal or external pandemic. So like, huge example, right? But it's so, so present that um, years ago, I started for myself a practice that I refer to as intuitive planning. And then I actually started teaching it to the members in my highly sensitive leadership training programs about, I guess, like five years now. And oh my gosh, like what a difference that has made to not just say again, like, oh, I'm highly sensitive or I'm an empath, but oh, when it comes to business planning, we have to go do it the way that those people who are not highly sensitive teach to do it. But you can actually use your intuition to 
business and life plan. So I would say that is one of, yeah, one of the major keys that has allowed me to sustain. And I really believe will allow me to continue to sustain because again, pivot is the name of the game. Nobody knows right now what's coming down the pike and we all have to pretend I mean, excuse me, we all have to stop pretending that we should know, right? right? But instead develop the skills to be able to adjust, adapt, pivot as needed. Yeah. Yeah. This, this, and you, you nailed it in this day, every industry, I don't care what kind of industry you are, whether it's sports or energy or, uh, you know, the media, media marketing, it doesn't matter what industry everything is upside down it's a crapshoot it really it is. is and it really and you have is to, you can you can forecast based on the always whatever it is you're trying to do or plan but you really have to be on top of your game to stay yeah. ahead that's the skill that is it that is it there is no predictability there's no formula i just keep saying that with all 